place. Open up in your Bibles too. <clears throat> Book of Ephesians in the New Testament. Jose uh, gave me a lot of freedom. He said I could, I could speak on anything that I wanted to. And um, I, uh, it, by the way, if, if this is the first time you've ever seen or heard from me, like Jose said, my name is Ian. I've been at Westside for the last six years. One of the pastors over there. Live with my beautiful wife, Sarah, in Beaverton. We have two little kids, uh, Grayer is my a three-year-old boy. He's a good-looking little kid. We call him Grayer the Lady Slayer. Right? He's, he's a handsome fellow. And, uh, and then I have an 11-month-old girl named Ruby, and she's just precious. I, can, I cannot believe that she turns one in a few weeks. It is just bizarre. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. It really flies. It does. But uh, we're so blessed and just love being a part of this church family. And um, Jose said I could speak on anything I wanted to. And as I was praying, you know, it's the interesting things like this. You, as a guest speaker, you, you have the whole Bible to work with. I mean, you can go anywhere. And I felt very strongly God leading me to this passage in Ephesians chapter 3. And so I'll read it for you, and then I'll pray, start my timer, and we'll get into it, all right? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. It says, For this reason... I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Verse 20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You join me in saying a quick prayer. God, thank you so much for this beautiful church and these men and women. Uh, You are at work in their lives. And I thank you, God, that you care so deeply about every person in this room and what we're going through. You know us inside out as the one who created us. And um, I just want to pray for this group of people, whether um, they've been walking with you for a while or been a part of this church for a while, whether they're brand new um, to this place or this whole idea of, a, of God or a God who created us and loves us. Wherever we're coming from in the spectrum, God, I pray that you would speak. Right now, we, um, we just want to humble ourselves to admit we don't have all the answers in life and we want to open ourselves up to you speaking to us. I pray that you would speak in a powerful way, that you'd use anything I have to share, um, that you'd use it to deeply encourage people and point them toward things that truly matter and the very things you're calling them to in life. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. amen. I want you to understand something this morning. Our God is a big dreamer. The God that we worship and serve, the God we read about in scripture, he is a massive visionary and dreamer, and he just shines his creativity. He screams his creativity everywhere we look in the world around us. I mean, just look at nature. You know, I'm one of those people, I like to go on hikes and take photographs of of beautiful stuff in nature. But you know, we look at nature, we we look up at the stars, for example, at night, and we see, wow, God, you're just shining your creativity at us. Or we look at the, the oceans or the mountains and we see God's just shouting his creativity all over the earth. God is the very essence of creativity. I mean, he just sort of thought all of this up. You ever stop to think about that? He just thought it all up. He dreamt it all up. 
and simply spoke it into existence according to the witness of scripture. And then it was there. How bizarre is that? He just says something like, let there be light. And then billions of galaxies, you know, each with billions of stars are just flung into space and all the planets and orbits and all of that. God just dreamt it all up. They weren't there before and then they're there. And so you have this world with all its beautiful complexities, you know, the trees and the rivers and the birds and the animals, things like snails. Yesterday, my son Grayer and I, we found a snail on our back deck. And uh, Grayer's three years old, so this is a pretty big event for us. It took about an hour. And uh, we, we, we look at this snail yesterday, and you know, they, what, what odd creatures, you know, part of it's slimy and like a slug. And then it's got this other, you know, tough, spirally, beautiful part we call a shell. And it's got this uh, antenna eye things. And, uh, you know, we touch the shell and it sucks up into it. And they're snails, incredibly slow. My son turned four before the thing got to the other side of the deck. And uh, who thinks up something like snails? I mean, this, this God, everywhere we look, if you really think about it, it's, it's almost as if from the very beginning of life, God's trying to get our attention, right? He's saying, I'm here and I'm brilliant. I could do anything. And, and God is this massive dreamer. He just comes up with all of this. And just like most dreamers today, in the very beginning, God dreams this good-natured dream cram-packed with adventure and romance. He dreams this heartwarming vision for the world where he creates human beings, men and women, on this earth so that we could have a relationship with him as our creator, so we could have closeness, intimacy with the creator God. And humans are very different from the rest of creation. We're very different from the plants and the animals. Genesis 1.27 says, you and I are created in God's very own image or likeness, meaning some of the very traits of this uh, infinitely creative dreamer God have been stamped into our very DNA. Why do you dream dreams with your life? Why do you get creative ideas? Why... Why do you crave to be a part of something big or important, something that matters in life? Why are you and I chasing down adventure, romance, and life? I would argue, and the scriptures argue, because you and I were created in the image of this dreamer God. And in the beginning, we, had, we, we were able to find all of that as we were intended to in him and in this beautiful relationship with God. Many of you, maybe you've been around church for a while and you know how the story goes from the very beginning, the very first humans, Adam and Eve, are there with God in the garden and he's walking amongst their midst, it says, in the cool of the day, in his presence. They have this amazing closeness with God and unfortunately things turn south when uh, human beings, when Adam and Eve from the very first humans start to take life and and dreaming into their own hands rather than heeding God's voice. This is what the Bible refers to his sin, you know, where we, we stop trusting God and taking his word for things and we start to want to take life into our, our very own hands. And so as a result, there's tragedy, the fall of mankind, you know, sin separates man and woman from being in this beautiful relationship with God. Sin brings into the world devastating things like sickness and evil and suffering and pain and death and El Nino into the world. And, and men and women are no longer seeking to live out God's dreams for humanity and for the world. 
love. But God, whose dream has always been that closeness of relationship with humanity, he dreams of this incredible way to reconcile it all to himself. And he sends his son, Jesus, the Messiah, who comes and lives this perfectly sinless life and dies on the cross in our place for our sins and failures. The scripture says three days later, he raises again from the dead and offers eternal life, salvation to all who would put their faith in him. And you need to understand that that when you and I, as followers of Jesus, when we surrender our lives to Jesus unto salvation, when we put our faith in him, when we trust his kingship, and when we surrender our lives to him, what's happening is we're being reconnected back into relationship with this God. We're being reconnected to his dreams and plans for our lives. Did you know that God has specific plans and unique dreams for your life? He's, he's made you in a specific way. He's wired you personality, passions, and all in a specific way for a reason. He's given you specific things he wants you to walk in, great, exciting things to be a part of in your life that he made you for. And when you walk in a relationship with him, you begin to find what these things are, and it's beautiful. And you know, that's what I want to focus in on today from this passage we're looking at in Ephesians 3. Um, I want to look at a dream that the Apostle Paul, a man who lived 2,000 years ago, leader in the early church, this is a dream that he had for the church in Ephesus, and it's a dream that he turns into a prayer, that he prays for this first century church in Ephesus, and I would argue that that his dream for this church is is God's dream for all of us as followers of Jesus, and I want to look back, and I'm going to unpack uh, this passage we just read a few moments ago in Ephesians 3, and then we'll circle back to this idea of what it means for us to join this dreamer God and dreaming dreams with our lives. Sound like a plan? Yeah. Who is that? Yeah. I need you, man. Keep it going. That's right. We're ready. Verse 14. For this reason, Paul says, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. If you're an underliner out there in the room this morning, you can underline the word family. Okay? Paul is on his knees in prayer. He says, I, I, I kneel before the Father from whom the whole family on heaven and earth gets its name. And this is one of the most beautiful realities in Scripture. The idea that when you come to faith in Jesus, you not only are reconnected to this beautiful relationship with the God who created you and loves you, but you also are reconnected to this amazing family that is God's people. You join a whole brand new spiritual family of God's people. And that's the most common message metaphor that's used for the people of God in scriptures, this metaphor of family. And I love, this is very personally dear to my heart, this concept of family in my life, you know, because wherever I go now as a follower of Jesus, I get to be with family all over the world or in the city I live in. You know, I'm at Westside uh, over there on, on Sundays or in my missional community throughout the week, and I get to be doing life with brothers and sisters, people that I get to get to know, and they know me, and we get to share our struggles and what's going on in life together. It's a beautiful thing. And then, after four years, I get to come speak at sunset, and uh, I'm with you guys, and I'm worshiping while Brandon's leading, and, I'm, and I'm, I get to think, man, what a, what a special joy it is that, that we're family. We're brothers and sisters. We get to worship Jesus together. And I'm always mindful of this when I travel. Last month, my wife and I were in Thailand doing some uh, work with Remember New, which is one of the amazing organizations that this church supports through Hear the Cry. If you tithe here, 10% of every dollar goes to Hear the Cry, where we support the work of amazing organizations helping with the orphan, widow, and oppressed all over the world. One of them is Remember New. They help get kids uh, protected from the, the sex trade. 
in these other countries. It's an incredible work. And I'm over there in Thailand, and here, you, here I am with a bunch of people, and we, 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 we did church on a Sunday. And it's so cool. The other side of the world, you know, people speak in different languages, cultural barriers, and all of that. And we're worshiping the same Jesus together, and we're family. We're one. And, and you need to understand this morning, especially, you know, those of you here where you've had a rough go with your own family in life. Uh, Lots of people refer to the current generation as the fatherless generation. Uh, Lots of brokenness in families today. We see it all around us, and many of us have experienced that firsthand in our lives. But I want you to understand, God's dream for you is that you would be part of a vibrant and healthy family. God doesn't want you to go through life feeling alone or isolated or unknown. And in Jesus, we get to step into a new kind of family. We get new brothers and sisters and spiritual moms and dads to do life with. And, and this, by the way, is where we're often talking about you know, things like sunset communities and basics. And you know, there's all kinds of amazing ways at this church to get involved. Like I said, I have lots of friends who go here. And one of the things that I've picked up on is that this church does family really well. Everyone raves about the sense of community here. I just feel it being here and interacting with you guys today. So if you're new or visiting, by the way, looking for a church, this is a Take my word for it. From all I know, and I know lots of people who go here, this is an incredible place to do family and to be cared for and to invest in people. And so we're really glad that you're here and hope that you stay. But I want to look at this passage uh, this morning. What what we're going to see is Paul prays four specific things for the family of God, for followers of Jesus, like you and I, who have become a part of this new kind of family in Jesus. This is Paul's dream for followers of Jesus. And I'd argue this is God's dream for all of us as people. And the first thing Paul prays for them is in verse 16. Look back at verse 16. It says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Okay, so the first thing that Paul prays is that we would be strengthened in our inner being. Inner being, that, that, that's a Odd term. What does that mean, your inner being? Uh, the New King James and some other translations, it's, it's even more of an odd translation. Translates it, the inner man. Some of your Bibles say that. You'd be strengthened in your inner man, which is kind of a funny sounding term, the, the inner man. And some of you dudes in the room are more open to this kind of idea, right? Like the inner man. Is that the, that place, you know, inside of me, deep within, set apart for football and action and grunting? You know, like, hmm, there you are. There he is again. Hmm. And, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of inner man coming out next week on Super Bowl Sunday, let me tell you. Is that what Paul's talking about? No, you know. And if so, that, you know, you gals in the room, do I even have an inner man? You know, that I, sometimes when I wake up in the morning before I have a glass of water, I can talk in the lower registers. Is that the inner man coming? No, 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 no. It's nothing like that. Impressive when you can do that. But no, the inner man, it's a better translation is the inner being. If you look at the Greek language, Okay, and, and dig a little bit deeper. This is referring to simply the, the, the part of who you are that has been transformed from the inside out by Jesus. So the very core of your being, deep down inside, it's referring to who you really are. Another way you could word the, your inner being is your soul. And uh, when I say that, though, don't think of, you know, in the pl- Greek platonic sense, like your uh, spiritual soul trapped 
inside a physical body. That's not actual biblical thinking. But the scriptures teach that you and I have a soul, but that our soul is deeply fused to your body and your mind and your heart. We're holistic, integrated human beings, and God cares about every aspect of who you are at the very deepest level, the very core of your being. And, and, and so we're, when we're talking about the inner being, we're talking about that. We're talking about what, what really makes you you, who you really are from the inside out. And as you and I travel through life on this journey of loving Jesus in a broken, fallen world, often in our inner being, who we really are gets worn down, gets bumped, gets battered by life. You know, we at times get tired and weary in our very souls, deep down. And many of you in the room know exactly what I'm talking about. You felt that, just being worn down by life. Um, we, we at times, you know, face things like fear or anxiety or depression, rejection, doubt. Uh, we make mistakes or fail in various ways in life. And Paul's saying, listen, God wants to strengthen you deep down in your inner being from the inside out. And look at the source of where this strength comes from in verse 16. It says, he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his what? Spirit in your inner being, through his spirit. That's the, that's the source of this power. When you and I come to faith in Jesus, the scriptures teach our, our bodies become the temple of the Holy Spirit, of God's very spirit comes to fill and indwell us as followers of Jesus. The same spirit who empowered Jesus to live the life that he lived also lives inside of us as our guide, our comforter. And at the beginning of the book of Acts, which uh, we're taking a break from these past few Sundays with Phil speaking and, and me speaking today, but uh, right now we're in the middle of studying a series in the book of Acts. And at the beginning of Acts, in Acts 1.8, Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. And very simply this morning, before we go any further, if you're here today and you feel tired and weary and weak, deep down in your inner being and who you really are, you're feeling that today. I would encourage you this morning, let's open up our lives to the filling of God's very spirit, strengthening us through his Holy Spirit. Like Paul, that's my prayer for you guys this week, today, that you would be strengthened with power through his spirit, that as you worship this morning, as we come to the table later on, that you would be receiving strength from God's spirit, fresh strength for, at this point in your faith. But the second thing Paul prays for the church is in verse 17. And he prays that they would have a deeper experience of Jesus. And let me explain, explain that. Look at what the verse says in verse 17. It says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now that first part of 17, when Paul says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, uh, for those of you who've maybe been around the church for a while, that sounds kind of like salvation, doesn't it? Christ dwelling in your heart through faith. But I want you to think with me, who's Paul writing this letter to? So we're it to the church at Ephesus, and in context, who's he talking about? Remember how this passage started? He's praying for the family of God. They're already Christians. They're already followers of Jesus who know him. That's the context. And so what scholars say Paul's speaking of here specifically is a deeper experience of Jesus in their lives. How many of you want a deeper experience of Jesus in your life? I know I want that. I don't, I don't want 
shallow. I don't want superficial, you know, inch deep. I want to really know what this thing is about. What we read about in the scriptures. I want to experience this for myself. And that's what Paul's getting at here. A deeper experience of Jesus. Another way to translate this verse when it says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It literally is saying that Jesus would come make himself at home in your hearts and your lives. Paul's essentially praying that Jesus would come and make himself really cozy in our lifestyles and the very every aspect of who you are and your thought life and what you're doing, your actions, your habits, that Jesus would make himself more and more at home in who you are and what you're about and what you do in life. Uh, how about you this morning? Think about it. Are, are you giving access? Are you giving God access to every part of who you are at this point in your life or this week? Or are there things you're trying to hide from God in your life? Things that you're not letting Jesus into. Are we letting Jesus be at home in every part of our life? Because Paul's, Paul's praying that we would have this ever-growing, deeper experience with Jesus. And, and, and God wants more for you than just uh, shallow, superficial, you know, inch deep faith. God's dream for us is not that we do some kind of religious thing where you just come to church on Sundays and you read a few spiritual books, but God wants to lead you into a real vibrant relationship with the living God who made you and created you and loves you. And he wants to teach you all about his dreams for your life. And it's a beautiful thing. Look at the second half of verse 17. He says, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love, Rooted and established in love. Now, this conjures up the image of like a plant or a tree, this idea of roots. And, you know, the root structure of any plant serves multiple purposes. And I'm, I'm not a scientist by any means, but growing up, my dad owned a, a landscaping business that I helped a lot with. So I do know something about plants. And very simple. It's basic science, you know. But what purpose does roots serve for a plant? Well, there's various things. One major role that the uh, roots serve is for the growth of the plant, right? It's by the roots going deep into the soil that they absorb water and the various nutrients that provide nourishment and sustenance for a plant to grow. Um, The root also serves as an anchor for the structure of the whole thing, you know? It's the roots that keep it anchored to the ground when the winds and the storms come so it's not uprooted. And this is the analogy that Paul's pulling from here. I want you to think, at this point in your life, what's your source ultimately in life of your growth as a human being? What's your source of of nourishment and sustenance in life? What is it that makes you want to wake up in the morning? What is it that keeps you going at this point in your life? What's what's your anchor? What's your foundation? What is it that keeps you grounded when you start going through hard things in your life? Is it, you know, friends? Is it uh, family? Is it your career? Is it, you know, getting that degree so that you'll have uh, future security or options or whatever that might be? Because Paul's praying for us that as followers of Jesus, we would send our roots deep down specifically into the love of Christ, into the love of of God. And I want to encourage you, send your roots deep down into God's love. That's where you're ultimately going to find nourishment for your soul and ultimate growth at this point in your life as a human being. Send your roots deep into God's love. That's what's going to keep you rooted when difficulty comes your way and when adversity strikes. And, and at this point in your life, whether you've been following Jesus you know, for four months or for 40 years, wherever you're at in your journey, I want to encourage you, would you be open today to a deeper experience of Jesus? 
a deeper experience of God's love. Because I, I know for a fact that whether you, you might have been experiencing Jesus for a long time at this point in your life, but there's always more to understand about God's love and there's always more to experience of his love. Paul's praying that our roots would go deeper and deeper, uh, which sends us into verse 18. Look down at verse 18. You guys doing all right? All right, this is all headed somewhere, I promise. Stick with me. Verse 18. The next thing he prays, that you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. So the third thing Paul prays for the believers in Ephesus is specifically that they would have a better understanding of God's love. And you know, this is really interesting to me because Paul uses these different dimensions to explain the love of God. He uses these different parameters, you know, and is explaining the width, the depth, the height, the length. And this is so fascinating to me because the more we study God's love in the scriptures and the more you get an understanding of what God's love is like, the, the sooner that you realize that the God of the Bible, who we, we study and get to know, the very dimensions that Paul's putting on the love of God, those dimensions themselves are infinite, right? Because the, the, and the Bible says that God is love. He's the very definition of love. Over and over again, the Bible says that his love endures forever. His love for us is infinite, is, is unconditional. He's a God of boundless love. And so as we come to these verses... We're coming across one of these great Christian paradoxes or mysteries. You know, there's a lot of paradoxes in the Christian faith, these deep, powerful truths that seem counterintuitive. You know what I'm talking about? These various truths in our faith, like, you know, humble yourself so you may be exalted. How does that work? You know, die to yourself so you may come to life in Christ. What, is, what does that mean? These, these, just these deep, profound mysteries that are, are true. And this is another one of those. And so I want to I challenge you a little bit in the next minute or two, Sunset. Put your thinking caps on this morning for a minute. And I want you to think with me. We're going to look down at the text. Get your eyeballs on the page. Look down at verse 19 again. And as I read this, I want you to be thinking, what is confusing or counterintuitive about this first part in verse 19? And to know, this is what Paul prays for them, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. I'm going to read it one more time for those of us a little bit slower. The coffee's still sinking in this morning. He says, I want you to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Paul, that doesn't even make sense. Know the love that surpasses knowledge. Is it, am I taking crazy pills? What is that supposed to mean? I want you to, he's saying, I want you to know the love of God that is unknowable. I pray that you'd be able to, you know, to comprehend the love of God that, by the way, is so vast and infinite and good and unconditional that you'll never be able to truly understand it. Is that what Paul's praying? Is he asking us to do something that's not even possible? Is he just messing with us? Well, as we dig a little bit deeper, you guys know the Bible wasn't originally written in English, right? Jose's a great teacher. I'm sure you know that. It wasn't. It was written uh, in the Koine Greek, an ancient language, and you know, we miss a lot of things in our modern day translations, not only because it's a different language with all the complexities of human languages, but we're also a few thousand years removed from that language. And as you dig deeper and look at these words when it says that you may know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that word for know is the Greek word gnosko, which specifically means experiential knowledge, knowledge that comes by experience. 
which is a fascinating idea. Paul's praying that these believers would be able to experience, to comprehend, specifically through experience, the love of God that is so great and amazing that it blows our minds away and we'll never be able to quite understand it in our heads. And many of you who have been walking with Jesus for a while, you're, you're catching on. You, you, you understand what Paul's talking about here in this great paradox, this great mystery, because you've begun to experience this. You've learned, you know, the more and more we learn about God's infinite love, it's, it's so amazing, it's so great that no matter what we do, God's never, ever going to run out of love for us, which is great news for all of us here this morning. I don't know about you, but I do a lot of stupid stuff. In my life, God never runs out of love for us. He's so gracious and long-suffering. And, you know, whatever you do, God's love is infinite. He never runs out of love to show people. And like David, you know, we have all these authors just reflecting on how powerful God's love is in the scriptures. David, for example, at one point says, Your love, O Lord, is better than life itself. You understand that kind of statement he's saying there? He's saying, your love is better than life itself. If I had a choice between God's love and all of life, I'm going to choose God's love. Because it's eternal and it's that good. It's that much better. And when you begin to grasp this, you, know, you begin to understand some of what Paul's talking about here, how good this love is. And many of you get this. Many of you know that the love of God is so amazing and so great that we never truly can understand just why God loves us as much as he does. His love for us is so great and infinite, we'll never be able to truly wrap our finite, puny human brains around it, but you can experience it. You can walk in it. You can receive it. You can taste and drink deep the love of God and live it. Every single day, it's this amazing, beautiful mystery and truth of what it means to know the living God in Christ Jesus. This is what Paul's getting at. One of the most glorious truths in the universe that you can know by experience this infinite God and you can know his infinite love in relationship with him. Question for you this morning. Have you in your life experienced God's love? Have you? experienced God's love in your own life. I'm not talking, have you read about it? Have you heard someone at church say, Jesus loves you, or whatever they say? Have you actually had an experience where you experienced the love of God firsthand in your life? And if you haven't, I want to encourage you, would you give it a chance? Would you open your life up to having an experience of God's love this morning, today? Because until you have, you're not going to really understand any of the other stuff we're talking about. Because this is the whole point of this whole thing. Is that the living God of all creation made you, knows you, loves you. And he's calling you to experience him in the context of a relationship. Where you go through life together. With him. And he teaches you how to live and, and walk with him. And it's fascinating to me because, you know, Paul, he, he sticks these parameters in, in explaining the love of God, the depth, the height, the width, and, and uh, what he's doing here. I love it. It's, it's, uh, I'll use a simple analogy to compare what Paul's doing here. But uh, you'll use the analogy of a fish. How many of you guys, uh, anyone in this room like fishing? Yep. Like, yep, there they are. Okay, they're here. So uh, f- just take fish. Interesting creatures. You know, they swim in the water and we catch them on our poles and all that and eat them. But a fish, by design was made to move, operate. You know, a fish was designed to to breathe and live and thrive within the environment of water. And so when we go fishing, we take the thing out of water, and if you take a fish out of the environment it was designed to operate and live and breathe in, then that thing suffocates and dies. And I would argue, a very overly simple analogy, but I'd argue that it's the very same for men and women when it comes to the love of God. 
that you and I as human beings were actually created by this God to live, to move through life, to thrive, to breathe, to operate within the parameters of knowing this God and experiencing his love every single day. And when you take your body, when you take your life, when you take your mind, your heart, your ambitions, your desires, your hopes in life, when you take that anywhere else outside of that context, you will soon enough find deep in your inner being, in your very soul, you'll find yourself suffocating and dying inside. Because you were designed to know this God in relationship with him. And it's such a beautiful thing to understand this and step into it. This is Paul's prayer that that, that we would understand through experience this amazing love of God. And I love the last part of verse 19, you know, when he says uh, at the bottom of verse 19, look down, he says that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That you be filled with all the fullness of God. He's talking about deep fulfillment, deep satisfaction, deep sense of purpose, and where you are filled with the very life of this creator God who made you. And this is another one of those strange paradoxes. Think about that. To be filled to the measure with all the fullness of God as finite human beings, you're talking about God, the infinite being. The scriptures say that the, the heavens can't contain the glory of God. The universe can't contain this massive, extraordinary God, yet when you open up your life to his spirit filling you, and when you start to send your roots deep into his love, and you walk in relationship with him, experiencing his love, you begin to be filled with the fullness of who God is. You get access to all of who God is in your life. And something happens when you do that. You begin to understand who you are and who God created you to be why he's wired you certain ways and your personality and giftings and passions and all this. And you begin to, to, to ask and pray for things. You begin to dream with your life. And I want you to, in light of that, turn, uh, we'll bring up the last point, which leads me to Paul wants us, this is the last thing he prays, he wants us to trust and believe God for great things. This is the last thing he prays for them. They're at the bottom of verse uh, 20. I love this part. He says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I love what, what Paul does here. He, pray, he says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than all we ask or imagine. And that word, imagine there, by the way, uh, in, in, in the Greek, Um, It can be translated to think, uh, to conceive, to imagine, or to dream. And so Paul's praying to the God who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or dream. And so understand, when Paul, as he prays this, he is assuming, he's presupposing that as followers of Jesus, we're regularly doing two things in life, asking and dreaming as followers of Jesus. And like I mentioned earlier, it is in your DNA to be a dreamer. Turn to someone next to you and say, you're a dreamer. It's true. It's true. My friends at Sunset, I felt like God wanted me to encourage you guys today. You know, like I said, there's all kinds of places I could have gone or passages. I felt specifically like God led me to this. I feel like God wants to encourage you guys afresh to dream big dreams with God and to pray huge prayers of faith at this point in your lives. 
Because God wants us in a relationship with him to join this amazing relationship where we experience his love and together with him, we begin to dream with God of what he wants to do in the world, in your city, in your neighborhood, in your family, with your work, your vocation, your calling. And this is a God who's able to do. Paul, he's, he's grasping for language to try to convey that this God can go exceedingly abundantly above and beyond even your biggest, wildest dreams. That as you open your life up to the filling of God's spirit, as you're strengthened by him, as you send your roots deep into his love, as you walk in a relationship with him, this God is able to take your prayers and your dreams and desires and do more than you could ever imagine. It's about the infinitely capable, unlimited power of God. And here's a, here's a, a concept. I want you guys to, to chew on this one for a little bit, okay? Well, look, at, look at where it says that this power is at work in the passage, okay? I'm going to reread verse 20, and be, paying attention, it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within God's righteous right arm. Is that what it says? You're reading it, is that what it says? No. Does it say, you know, according to his power that is at work up in the, you know, the heavens and God's Shekinah glory and present? Is that what it says? No. It says, according to his power that is at work within who? Us. You, follower of Jesus, and me. I want you to think about this. Almost every miracle that we read about in the Bible, there's a human involved. You ever notice that? Almost. Not every single miracle. I can think of some exceptions, like the beginning of the creation account. Seems like it's just God isn't doing that stuff. But, Think about it. A host of miracles. All, miracle after miracle in the scripture. Just a couple popular examples. Think about Moses. You know, the whole Exodus thing. He's leading the nation of Israel out of bondage in Egypt. They're out in the desert. And Pharaoh had let them go after the ten plagues. But Pharaoh, who's a moody person to begin with, changes his mind, rallies an army of, of chariots, you know, and they're after them. And they get them cornered up against the Red Sea. Okay, so they're stuck in the the Red Sea. We have nowhere to escape. The chariots are coming. The people of Israel, they're really slow moving. Men, women, children, you know, a large mass of people. And uh, if I'm God, which you should all be thankful I'm not, but if I'm God, you know, and I can do anything, I would have just probably made it easier for them or just gone, you know, before them and kind of, you know, parted the waters ahead of time. So when they got there, they just found this natural like land bridge, you know, there across the water. No, no trouble. Would have kept going. Um, or if I was God, you know, and I could do anything, I'd just kind of pick up the Red Sea, move it a couple hundred miles that way, you know, whatever, and they, before they even got there. But instead, you have this bizarre picture of this man, you know, praying and raising a staff, and, and the waters part, and the, the people walk across on dry land. Why is that? Think of uh, the, the story of, uh, you know, Joshua and the walls of Jericho, you know, where... The people go into the promised land, but there's a problem. There's an enemy there who doesn't want them there, and they're fighting. And, and uh, God you know, tells them he's going to give them this victory. Um, and this uh, city, Jericho, is a, a military base and fortress for the enemy with these huge walls around the city. And God tells uh, Joshua to take his men and to, to march around seven times in faith, you know, sounding these horns for God's victory, and a miracle is going to happen. And you've got to put yourself in the minds of these very real men who lived back then, full-grown men, you know, what's the, ba- what's the battle strategy? What's the tactic? You know, what, what, what are we going to do? We're going to march seven times, 
And sure enough, they're doing this, you know, in faith. They're marching around seven times, tooting their horns, you know, their trumpets. We don't actually have audio from that, I'm guessing, but you know how it sounds. But they're blowing these horns, and, and then this incredible miracle takes place. Or think, think of this one, Jesus and the uh, feeding of uh, the 5,000, for example, another one of the most famous miracles in the Bible. You know, they're sitting on this hillside in Galilee, and uh, Jesus has been teaching, and hours have gone by, and the whole crowd starts to get incredibly hungry. They're within miles of the nearest town, and uh, Jesus has compassion, and they, they want to feed the people. And so he, he rallies the troops. He rallies the disciples and says, you know, what, what food do we have? And they go out, and all they can come up with is a few loaves and a couple fish, right? And you guys remember this miracle? And uh, again, if I was Jesus, you know, God in the flesh, and I had, you know, the power by the Spirit to, you know, heal the sick and make the lame walk and raise people from the dead and all this stuff Jesus did, you know, Jesus could have just prayed a prayer and had fish and loaves just kind of rain down from heaven and people would be sitting there and all of a sudden, you know, there's fish bouncing in their laps and they're, it's a miracle. Wouldn't that bring glory to God? You know, wouldn't Jesus be worshipped? And yet you have this bizarre picture of the disciples with baskets running up and down the hillside, sweating, and they're passing out fish. And they're, where's this even coming from? Praise God, a miracle. And the people are like, thank you, you know, for feeding me. And, and they get a share in this incredible miracle God does. You need to understand something. Guys, God is a relational God, and he's looking for people, human beings, to partner with to work his incredible power through their lives for the blessing of the world and as a part of his mission to reconcile the world back into relationship with himself. And you and I play a key role in that. And God's given you gifts and skill sets and passions and dreams that you're meant to use for God's kingdom. What are those dreams God's given you? What are the things he's calling you to at this point in your life? Where can you step out in faith and join him in those things? And notice the whole point of these dreams, it's for God's glory. I hope you don't miss that. In in verse 21, it says, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And I say that because, I'm going to draw attention to that, because I don't want you to get me wrong here. When we're talking about dreaming, uh, there's all kinds of dreams out there that are temporary and fleeting in our world. I'm not talking today about the American dream, you know, health, wealth, and security and all that. Things like fame, fortune, success, those things won't fulfill you. I'm talking about the greatest dream that has ever been dreamt in all of human history of the eternal creator God who made you and loves you and is in the act of reconciling this world back to himself and you play a key role in that. And don't get that backwards. I think a lot of people, even followers of Jesus, you know, we get this backwards where we start with, you know, my dream and what I want to, you know, I want to go study this and at college or I want to, you know, do this and make some money in my family. And then how do I fit God into that thing? No, no, no. You start with coming to God and saying, God, you made me. What's your dream for my life? Because Paul's saying his, his dreams are bigger than we could have ever imagined or thought up ourselves. They're better. What's God calling you to? I want to share a very simple story real quick. Um, I mentioned earlier that my wife and I last month were in Thailand with Remember New, one of the organizations this church supports through Hear the Cry. And we were over there, and the story of Remember New is incredible. It starts with a man named 
uh, Carl Ralston, who started this organization uh, a little over a decade ago. He was at a point in his life living out in Ohio as a successful businessman, owned his own insurance company and had made a bunch of money and is in his late 40s and was starting to feel stirred and like kind of the way he words it, he had kind of like a personal, you know, uh, revival in his life where God was just really getting his attention. He's feeling like there's something more that God had for him to step into at that point in his life. He's talking to a mentor in his life and beginning to, you know, send his roots deep into God's love and experiencing Jesus. Jesus, he goes to this conference where his missionary gets up and starts talking about the problem of the sex trade in the world. Do you know that uh, every year there's uh, 1.2 million children are being trafficked in our world? It's a really terrible, ugly thing happening in our world, a huge need. And uh, he's hearing about this, and there's a story the missionary tells that uh, in, out in Cambodia, they came across this uh, girl named Nu, N-H-U is how she spells her name, a Vietnamese girl living in Cambodia, who around the uh, age of 12, she gave her, her life to Jesus and professed faith, came to know Jesus, and after that, was unfortunately sold by her Buddhist grandma. She was trafficked to a man for sex for five days, and it's a, a really gut-wrenching story where, um, you know, in one of those moments where she was in the middle of being raped, she is a follower of Jesus. She prayed to God that he would never let this happen to kids again. And something happened when that story was shared. Carl felt like God put these two words in his heart, remember new, remember her. And he couldn't stop thinking about it. And all of a sudden, you know, he felt like uh, he started reading and researching the sex trade. And he, he started traveling and going to these countries and, and absorbing all that he could about what organizations are doing. And to make a long story short, he ends up finding this girl new and, and eventually, essentially adopting her as his own. And they start this organization, Remember New. Now, about 12 or 13 years later, it's an organization that has built currently over 50 homes of refuge in 11 different countries. They have protected one, over 1,000 kids from entering the sex trade and they're teaching them about Jesus in these homes and giving them three meals a day and they're uh, teaching them English, a second language so they could get good jobs in their countries. They're getting an education. They're beginning to have a whole new dream for their lives. And I love stories like this because, for example, here you have, you have a, a little girl new in the middle of a horrendous situation and she asks God for something. She prays. And you have Carl you know, at his, this point in his life, in his late 40s, which, by the way, no matter where you're at, young, old, middle, whatever, wherever stage you're at in life, God is always wanting to speak to us and give us vision and dreams for your life. Be open to new dreams and fresh vision. But what if Carl, you know, kind of brushed that off and said, ah, I don't know any, anything about the sex trade. and like, oh, that's terrible. Send some money over there, you know, or I don't know, you know, how to build homes in other countries and all the legal side and all that. And, you know, my, with, I'm, I'm making a lot of money, my IRA and all that, you know. But he, he stepped out in faith in these dreams God was planting. What's God calling you to? I want to wrap up with two very simple thoughts before we go to worship and the table. Very simple. We'll keep it short. But if you're taking notes, what do we do going from here? What, what am I getting at? What do, what do we do in light of this? How, how do I want to encourage you today? One, open up your life to the filling of God's spirit today. That's what I want to encourage you to do. Do you see the common thread through this passage? It's God's spirit who strengthens you from the inside out and the inner being. It's God's spirit who is at work through you as a follower of Jesus in the world. Uh, What does it mean to be filled with the fullness of God? It means to be filled with his spirit, his very presence and power coming into your life. For some of you this morning, this looks like salvation where you have never 
truly opened your life up to the filling of God's spirit. You've never truly experienced God's love. And today's the day that by releasing control and saying, God, I give my life to you, you can find and know and rest in this infinite love of God firsthand in your life for the very first time. And there's nothing better than knowing and experiencing the love of this God who made you and beginning to understand the dreams that he has for your life. He wants to give you dreams, vision for why he's created you, what he's made you to do. Others of you here today have the spirit, but you know that this is an ongoing thing, right? This is an ongoing relationship. The Bible talks about subsequent fillings and continually being filled with the Spirit. And some of you, you know, you're following Jesus and you're the ones who have been battered and you, you've grown weary and tired in your very souls. You're struggling. Some of you have been hurt terribly by people and you're just not getting past that. Some of you are grieving loss in your life right now. Others of you, you just need direction. You need clarity. You need wisdom for this next step. You feel aimless. Why, why am I a part of this thing that I'm doing? And God, what, what is it that you have for me? God, Guys, I want to encourage you, would you open up your life afresh this morning to the filling of God's spirit? He wants to strengthen you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to give you fresh vision and hope and joy and direction in your life. Today, there's a passage in the book of Joel that I love and have grown very fond of over the years um, where Joel is talking about the work that happens when the Messiah comes. It's peering ahead into the future where the prophets are predicting when the Messiah comes, he'll pour out his spirit on people. And this is what Joel says. He says, and afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Guys, these are the days, those days that it's referred to, we're living in right now in the wake of Jesus' death and resurrection. God's pouring out his spirit on people. You have him? You're being filled with him. One of the specific things that the Spirit does, he gives us dreams and visions for our life and what he's calling us to, which leads me to the last thought, and we'll close. Ask and dream. Open up your life to the filling of God's Spirit. But secondly, very simple going from today, I want to encourage you to ask and dream. Um, I felt very strongly as I was praying about what to speak on, like I said, that God wanted me to give a special encouragement to you guys specifically I felt so strongly in my heart this week that for people at sunset, God wants to give many of you new dreams at this point in your life. For many others of you, God wants to reaffirm old dreams that he's given to you before in the past. You know, for some of you here today, your life has been going in a certain direction. You've been living for yourself or all these other things, and today's going to be a turning point for you where you open up your life to God. He wants to give you new dreams and direction for your life. Others of you, some of you, God's calling you to come around or help someone else's dream in your life because it's a family thing. It's a community thing. And some of you have the, the finances, the resources, the skill set, the means to come alongside a brother or sister with an incredible dream God's given them and you're meant to team up on it. How can you be obedient in that at this point in your life? Others of you, you know, uh, I think God wants for many of you to reaffirm old dreams. As I was praying, I felt like there'd be some people here today where a long time ago in your life, God gave you specific dreams. He planted some desires in you that you knew at the time were from him. But maybe years have gone by and there's been unexpected turns in your life or adversity or distractions or for whatever reason, you've kind of set those things aside. They've been laying dormant in you. And today is the day God wants to resurrect old dreams he's given you was to say, hey, remember when I gave you that vision, that plan? Now's the time. 
Start asking again. Start dreaming again. I bet a bunch of others of you are are in a different camp where you've been walking in those dreams God's given you for your life. You've been obedient. You've been faithful. But maybe you're feeling that fatigue, that exhaustion today. You're wearing yourself out. And God's saying, hey, I just want to encourage you. First of all, well done. Keep going. Don't give up. I'm here by my spirit to fill you afresh today, to strengthen you, to give you fresh vision and clarity, wisdom for your next step. God wants to meet with you today in a special way. But whatever you do, brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you that as you walk in relationship with this Jesus, start asking God for big things, dreaming big things with him, because this is the God who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all than we could ever ask or imagine or dream.